return this morning to Matthew chapter 10, those red-letter words of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who are already following him, particularly to the 12 that are being prepared for missionary endeavor. Matthew chapter 10, this morning we pick up at verse 34, and we'll consider through verse 39. Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We stop right there. Father, this morning we recognize, even upon first reading, that these words of Christ are sobering and defining. They particularly characterize what true discipleship, what true followership of Christ is all about. This congregation has just finished singing that blessed song, He, the Spirit of Christ, leadeth me. And we've sung the words, a faithful follower I would be. May that continue to be our heart cry once we better understand what that means from the text. For following you is of great, great blessing. And it is indeed a lifelong challenge for each and every one of us. And so help us today, those that are here, to hear our Lord say these things to those that follow him and serve him. And for that, we will praise you. In Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. Last month, the police in Nashville, Tennessee, were asked by an employer uh, to do a welfare check on one of their young teenage employees who showed up for work with multiple cuts on their body 
and lumps all over their face. As reported in World Magazine upon investigation, the police uncovered that the teen had been beat up by his father, his mother, and his older brother for committing apostasy. The teen had recently trusted Christ as his personal savior, which was indeed considered apostasy by his own family members. It was the Old Testament prophet Micah who foretold of much relational betrayal to come to those whose hope was fixed in God's messianic promise. The Lord Jesus quotes Micah 7, 6 at 10, 35, and 36. The whole idea here that talks about a man being set against his father and a daughter against the mother and uh, the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law and foes coming from within one's own household, all of that is a matter of biblical messianic prophecy. Faith and hope in Christ has at times and does at times and will at times cause, Bible word 35, variance. Verse 35, variance. That word means to sever or to cut or to separate. Faith in Christ, following Christ, will cause some to love you dearly and others to hate you sincerely. And sometimes the rift between believers and unbelieving relatives is lifelong and irreconcilable, says John MacArthur. This one is one of the sobering things our Lord had to say to his disciples in the first century who were following him. May God our Father, by God, the indwelling Spirit, help us, the modern followers of Christ, to hear and to act today with a loving sense of loyalty to God, our Son, God's Son, our Savior. Uh, comprehending the demands of the Lord Jesus placed upon his disciples hinges upon a clear and certain grasp of the word worthy, as it is seen three times in verse 37 and 38. The sense of worthy is brought to bear in regards to relational supremacy. Jesus Christ requires of all his followers relational supremacy. And secondly, as you will see, uh, this idea of worthy following or as a disciple walking worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus involves a rigorous sense of submission 
relational supremacy and rigorous submission. Uh, relational supremacy and rigorous submission are required concerning those that walk worthy in following Christ. All people, as you know, I trust already, are unworthy of God because he is holy and we are sinful. No one is worthy or deserving of God's love and saving care. Yet the follower of Christ, the servant of Christ, has been, by faith, made worthy before God in Christ and is called to walk worthy of the Lord. The word worthy means rightly weighted, and it evokes the image of that balance scale. On one side of the scale is the perfect Jesus the Christ, and on the other side of the scale is his follower or servant. And what a servant is to do is to so walk before the Lord so that his life is rightly weighted in relationship to the actuality and the reality of Jesus Christ himself. The life of the follower is to be lived out in righteous weight according to the standard of Christ. The disciple walking worthy of Christ bears three characteristics according to this section of the Lord's instruction to his disciples. The disciples of Jesus Christ who are walking worthy of their Lord are characterized by three things. Number one, an altered perspective. Disciples walking worthy of their Lord have a mindset. And their mindset is an altered mindset, an altered perspective from that which is common in the world and that which is common among Christians who are not faithfully following the Lord. The first characteristic of a disciple walking worthy of his Lord is an altered perspective that distinguishes the disciple of Jesus Christ as we begin in this section, Matthew 10 at 34. The Lord told the twelve, stop thinking. The Lord told the twelve, think not. Now he doesn't, that's at the end of it. The Lord doesn't just want you to be mush mind. He doesn't want you to just uh, 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 go limp in the brain. Uh, God would have you not think wrong, but think right. And Christ would have his followers think right. And when a follower is thinking right, uh, and he embraces and reflects the aspect of that altered perspective that comes from the Lord, well then, that disciple is indeed walking worthy of his Lord. The Lord had told the twelve to stop thinking that he had come to cast or to scatter abroad peace on earth. 
Now, that really is kind of easy to understand once you get back away from it, although it initially strikes the ear like, I thought he was the Prince of Peace. I thought he came for the purpose of spreading goodwill among men. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill uh, towards men. Isn't that what the angel said? Uh, and so what's this idea where Jesus says, stop thinking uh, that he had come to cast or to scatter or to send, uh, is the Bible word, peace. Now, this is just how simple this is. I have a question for our children. I won't pick on any in particular, but if they were desired to answer me, I'd be glad to hear from them. If you do not have peanut butter, question to the kids, if you do not have peanut butter, how easy can you spread it on your toast? If you do not have peanut butter, how easy can you spread it on your toast? Right. You can't because you don't have any. Now hear this. Jesus did not come to spread peace. There wasn't any on the earth. There isn't any on the earth. The first Advent ministry of Jesus Christ, he came to make peace, not spread it, not cast it, not send it. Now, why did Jesus say that to them? Well, he said that because the Jewish people of the Lord's day looked for a political deliverance of Israel uh, that would immediately transform the world into an eternal kingdom of promise. And Jesus did not want his followers to misunderstand the purpose of his first advent. And so the Lord says what he says to his disciples. He says what he says to the twelve who are going to serve him in missionary endeavor concerning the sword that they might have their minds ready for his first Advent rejection and suffering and their rejection and suffering before the day of promise fulfilled. And so Jesus says, in essence, I did not come to spread peanut butter because you don't have any. I came to make peace. And in fact, part of the mission of the disciple is to spread what Christ has made. When it comes to the reality of spiritual life, God's people in this generation have it to spread around. It has been made. Peace has been made at the cross. The glory of our salvation is seen in the judgment poured out at the cross. The glory of our salvation is seen in the judgment of God poured out upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ. He died for 
our sins. Before the appropriation of that truth, you should think of yourself as unworthy before God from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. But once you have received Christ as your personal Savior, once you know the reality of Christ by the gospel, making you worthy before the throne of God in position, then it is clearly the will of the Father and the command and demand of the Son that you walk worthy of your Lord. And that starts with this altering of one's mind, the altering of one's mindset or, pers or perspective. The peace that Jesus had come to make would in fact produce a conflict between peoples, even within, at times, family structure. Jesus came to make peace between God and sinful man. God's offer of peace exclusively is through Jesus Christ, and uh, that offer is, in of itself, offensive to many people. Uh, Jesus wanted his followers then, as now, to understand the severing realities of the gospel, the severing realities of the gospel. A, a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of the Lord, is to have an altered perspective. And understanding what the Lord had come to do in the first advent, uh, the believer not only knows that we now have the peanut butter to spread. We now have the gospel of Christ complete to spread. But the believer also knows that not everybody is like, hoo-hoo about peanut butter. Some people don't like it at all. Some people could take it or leave it. Not everybody, like this preacher, starts his day with peanut butter. One piece of peanut butter toast. That's every morning for this preacher. But nonetheless, not everybody's like that. Not everybody. But nonetheless, the Lord has made peace at the foot of the cross. But Jesus would remind his followers then as now that that gospel to be spread has a severing reality to it that impacts relationships in the community, that impacts relationships in the neighborhood, and impacts relationships within one's own family. It remains our inclination today to develop expectations of our Lord beyond his present purpose. Many Christians today find themselves disappointed with Jesus because they thought that things would be smoother, because they thought that things would be easier, because they thought that things would be more externally exciting when once they decided to follow Christ. Disciples walking worthy of their Lord engage in this altered perspective as is clearly forwarded by our Lord. We need to take full advantage of this instruction as it relates to the altered perspective forwarded by our Lord according to the timing of God's promises and the broad spectrum of his plan as it is revealed in the scripture. If we take this passage as a whole, 
uh, we come to understand that the disciple and the servant of Christ is not called to a life of leisure, but labor, as Christ himself labored. The disciple of Christ is called to a life of love and loyalty, as Christ was loving and loyal to God the Father. The disciple and servant of Christ is not to look out for his own life's interests, but to look after the honor and saving interests of Christ. He made peace by the blood of the cross by not overlooking the sin that condemns us all before God. Therefore, the particular thing that you and I should constantly have in mind as the followers of Jesus Christ is that the primary piece of the first advent is upward and inward, not outward and about. Let me say it again. The primary piece of the first coming, the first advent, is upward, meaning God has been made peaceful towards us by the death of his son for us. The glory of our salvation is best seen in the judgment of God the Father poured out on God the Son at the cross. And in that judgment of the Savior at the cross, peace has been made between God and men. The first advent was primarily about peace upward and primarily about then peace inward for those that believe and receive Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. But God has never promised you and me who follow Christ external peace in the life of our earthly sojourn. The idea that you would live that everything is just supposed to be peaceful because you're following the Lord is a, a perspective that, that denies and dishonors the, the direct thing that Jesus said. The Lord said it would be, at times, rough for you. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many believe that. <laughs> I surely do. God has provided a tranquility of soul for us as the disciples who pray about things and walk with him sincerely. But the first Advent ministry was all about the making of peace so that I could talk about the peace of or rather with God and then based upon peace with God could talk about the peace of God, the tranquility of the soul that comes to the disciple who honors the Lord and walks worthy of his Lord as called. And that's what this passage is all about, walking worthy of the Lord as called. 
Uh, the second characteristic of disciples walking worthy is an aligned passion. An aligned passion distinguishes the disciple of Jesus Christ. Verse 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That has to do with your affection for Christ, your love for Christ as a professing disciple. Our affection for Jesus Christ is to be unequal. Our affection for Jesus Christ is to be unequal. The strong statement here doesn't undermine the love of family, but it does relegate it as secondary to loving Christ. Since the Old Testament assigns under the law that the greatest commandment is love God. Herein, Matthew 10, 37, is just another way in which Jesus demands that you and I acknowledge him to be who he is. God. Verse 37 doesn't say anything except love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. But it says it in such a way that it makes it incumbent upon the one who says, I'm following Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of the Lord. And Jesus said plainly that if he is not the number one love of your life, that you are not walking worthy of your Lord. Again, the Old Testament law is summarized by the demand of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Under the law, a person was to love God with all. But what the law could not do in that it was weak through the sinful flesh of man God the Son become man has made possible by his death, burial, and resurrection our Lord's demand, our Lord's requirement that his followers love him above all others is simply the demand of God the creator of all and the redeemer of those who believe. We can understand why a worldling would not love God most. But it is indeed spiritually irrational that a child of God, by faith in Christ, would not love Christ most. The disciple or servant of Christ is not called to a life of leisure, but labor, as Christ himself labored. The disciple of Christ is called to a life of love and loyalty to Christ, 
as Christ was loving and loyal to God the Father. In other words, the Lord Jesus does not demand one single thing of me or one single thing of you as his followers that he himself has not perfected in practice on earth. No one can question the love and loyalty of God the Son for God the Father when you think about the truth of the gospel and the glory of our salvation as it is portrayed beautifully in judgment at the cross. No one can doubt who exactly it is that Jesus Christ loved the most. And no one should be able to misjudge you as to who it is you love the most. And I don't know about you, this particular list in Matthew 10 uh, of uh, mother and father and daughter-in-law and, and, and those relationships. Of course, uh, in other gospel accounts on other occasions when the Lord talked about the same principle, he, he talked about your wife and he talked about your children. And, and in Luke 14, Jesus said, Yea, he that does uh, not uh, only love me more than his own life cannot be my disciple. And so this idea of loving God supremely, or relational supremacy, the Lord requires of me relational supremacy. Jerry and I were talking about this uh, at breakfast yesterday, uh, as it relates to the aspect that uh, you watch people react to the aspect of other people that are around them in their family, and in their neighborhood, and you can tell who they love. You can tell when a dad loves a son. You can tell when a grandpa loves a grandkid. You can tell. I watched this morning as I'm standing at the back of the auditorium, and I won't name who, but as I'm standing at the back of the auditorium, I saw a grandpa uh, grab the cheeks of a granddaughter and uh, hold her still as she was on the fly. Her feet kept going, but her head stayed right exactly where her grandpa held it, and he kissed her on the forehead. And, uh, and I thought, that's great. Isn't that great? Isn't that great uh, to be so close to somebody that you love, you can grab their chin on a Sunday morning and whack one on their, on their head, even as their feet are already going up the stairs. Etta. But nonetheless, <laughs> I just say to you, wow, we can tell. Let me ask you, can people tell that you love God? You say, well, I'll tell you, where I work, it's awful hard, it's awful hard. Where I work, where I, where I work, it's awful hard, it's awful hard. Okay, I, I, I get that. At my school, at my, it's awful hard. At my school, it's awful hard. At my school, at my school, it's awful hard. Yeah, I, I get that. But what about this church? Who makes it hard for you to demonstrate your love for God here? Who stands in your way? Nobody. And yet I would argue that some of you are still terribly inept 
and manifesting your love for Christ. Sometimes it's hard to tell if you ever do love Christ most. Just saying, one of the characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ is an aligned passion. Thirdly, the third characteristic of a disciple walking worthy of their Lord is an absolute presentation of themselves that distinguishes the disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross, taketh not his cross, and followeth me after me, is not worthy of me. The twelve disciples would have not thought it anything but strange that the Lord would speak to them about bearing a cross. They would not have heard that as being the thought of a happy thing or a comfortable thing. They knew exactly what the Lord was saying. He was demanding of them a loyalty, a loyalty to the point of death if need be. The Lord does not ask all his followers uh, to be martyrs, but to be seriously loyal to him uh, to the point of death uh, if need be and willing to submit to his authority his rules, his will, as he has submitted to the authority and the rule and the will of God the Father. And so this idea of the obligation, the requirement, the demand of the Lord for his followers, that they live as he lived, not bearing his cross, the saving cross of Christ, but bearing their cross, as assigned to them in the will of God. And then, of course, the whole text is climaxed with the paradoxical declaration uh, built around the words find and lose, uh, which happen to be heirs participles, conveying the fact of a definite point of decision and action. Jesus said, verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The paradox is that we lose by finding and find by losing. That is backwards. That is counterintuitive. The idea that the Lord forwards here is that a person who thinks about their life, their individual life, and that it is all about here and now, all about the temporal world, all about the current bubble and sphere of their life, that that person loses out on the true value of their life, while the person who loses or surrenders or submits 
his life to God's purposes finds or discovers life as God intended it to be. Christ, of course, is the very best example of this principle. And disciples are called to live as he lived. And so the combination of thoughts here parallel exactly that familiar appeal of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 1, uh, that calls for a decisive presentation of oneself to God as a living sacrifice. And I think that you can really kind of uh, reduce down to its, uh, uh, its uh, core and minimum uh, the, con- the concept here of what it means to be a, a walking disciple that is worthy of the Lord in two thoughts, relational supremacy and rigorous submission. What is it that God uh, requires of me? God requires of me relational supremacy. God requires of me rigorous submission. Whether my circumstances appear to be great or terrible, the Lord requires of me as his follower, as his, as his disciple, he requires of me relational supremacy. He requires of me rigorous submission. There are going to be times when I don't want to submit. There are going to be times, and there are times, when I don't want to do what God wants me to do. There was a time when the Lord Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. What is that? That is rigorous submission to the will of God no matter what. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means that you have met the Lord's demand for relational supremacy. It means that you are marked by a rigorous sense of submission to the will of God no matter how you I don't feel like going. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like talking. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel. You're going to take yourself right to the, to the brink of eternity. In the spirit of disaster, when God by Christ has offered you the Holy Spirit, to live a life of love and honor for God. Don't miss out in the life of God's intention. In that 39 verse, the Lord also clearly indicates that no living sacrifice ever made by one of the disciples goes without his glorious reward. Shall find it. Shall. Will. Find. It. We cannot ever give in loving loyalty to Christ more than we will receive. Disciples walking worthy of their Lord find it worth it. There's an old song that comes to mind. The old timers are all know about it. Uh, but uh, believers 
especially in generations past, would sing with great enthusiasm, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And of course, that's true, but not for all Christians. Right? You trust the Lord as your Savior, you get your ticket for heaven, uh, you go about to respond to the Lord after that by being self-serving and chasing your own tail. And I guarantee you, when you see Jesus, you won't think it's just worth it all. Uh, when you see the Lord Jesus, you're going to be embarrassed. It is disciples who walk worthy of their Lord who will find it worth it. I would argue only disciples walking worthy of their Lord will find it worth it. Walk worthy of Christ. Paul said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. The disciple and servant of Christ is not called to a life of leisure, but labor, as Christ himself labored. The disciple of Christ is called to a life of love and loyalty to Christ, as Christ was loving and loyal to God the Father. The disciple and servant of Christ is not to look out for his own life's interests, but to look after the honor and saving interests of Christ. Walk worthy of your Lord, based upon the truth that you and I have the Savior of our souls. Father, thank you for your calling us in Christ Jesus. And help those of us that have heard thy call to walk worthy of our Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.